Hey, it's Diana and Susanna, your favorite global health scientists. And this is episode two of our season two series on Global Caveat. Today, we're tackling the complicated topic of gun violence prevention. It's an emotional topic for many people. We're going to do our best to break it down and shed light on the highly misunderstood issue in the United States of America. But before we get started, we want to thank all our supporters who make Global Caveat possible. We appreciate shares, money, subscriptions, and reviews. You can become a Contagion, this cute name we have for our patrons, by signing up as a patron for as little as $1 a month. And this season, we will have new content for patrons. We will be hosting two AMAs every month, one with us, your favorite scientists, and one with different guests we've had on the show. If you have any burning questions, requests, or things you'd like to ask with the privacy of anonymity, this is for you. There is no such thing as a stupid question. This is a stupid <laughs> question. What's an AMA? Oh my gosh. It's an ask me anything so you can literally ask anything you want. Except, I mean, you should maybe not ask us about how to do coding and statistics because we over here are being like, state why you be like this. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, we know that gun violence is a sensitive topic and we want to note that we will not be discussing any specific events in detail. Mm-hmm. We will reference different events that have occurred, but this conversation focuses on how we can understand the issue of gun violence and what we can do to advocate for the safety of our communities. Now, let's dive in. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Michael B. Bagg, a third-year medical student and advocate on gun violence prevention at McGovern Medical School at UT Health Houston. Hi, Michael. Can you introduce yourself for the rest of our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Michael Begg. I am originally from El Paso, Texas. I went to El Paso High, Go Tigers. Went to and eventually go to the University of Denver where um, Suzanne and I were actually took a couple classes together. I graduated with a degree in international studies. Uh, and at some point between my uh, sophomore and junior year, I had a big change of heart uh, and decided to go to medical school. And that's how I ended up um, that's how I ended up in Houston at McGovern Medical School uh, in, in my third year now planning to go into pediatrics. My reason I went to med school is kind of reading the advocacy, but while I've been in med school, I've developed a specific interest in gun violence. I've worked with a couple of classmates um, on some, and we started with a class basically, which was, we started after the, after the Las Vegas shooting. We realized that nobody was really talking about it. So we created this platform that we could educate future healthcare providers about an issue that they're going to be seeing in the clinic. And so it's always been rooted in education and it's, you know, approaching it from a very nonpartisan, like, hey, this is just what you're going to be seeing on a daily basis. I mean, maybe not necessarily a daily basis, it really depends on what specialty you go into, but uh, the point being is that you're going to see it. So you should know what it looks like. You should know how to, you should know that what goes into this issue, why it's so political and how you can approach it from an educational standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that class is continuing on. Um, we, I've passed it off to, to um, second years now, so it's there, there's now. We're going to see, you know, see where it goes without the original participants involved. But I was involved last year. Uh, I've written two op-eds, one after the Santa Fe shooting, one after the El Paso shooting, just as you know, trying to take as professional of approaches that I, I can with these issues. I mean, you know, one thing that we found is that you can, you know, Obviously, you're talking about guns in Texas, and we do have a reputation for a reason. But we can successfully talk about how to address gun violence in Texas you know, if we take a professional and nonpartisan approach. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that covers pretty much. So it's kind of not a very concise 
<laughs> um, but give you a bit of a background uh, about how I ended up with a, a bit of a gun violence background. Sure. I think for the sake of mm-hmm. my understanding and maybe even Diana's and uh, for a lot of people listening, let's start with kind of the basics. So I think when we talk about gun violence in the United States, at this point, we immediately think mass shootings. Right. Which is undoubtedly a very huge problem. Yeah. But in my very limited understanding of gun violence, there are also many other issues related to gun violence that aren't just about mass shootings. Right? But, you know, when you talk about gun violence, it's easy to try and lump it all together, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone just sees, like, you know, like, like, there's something like 30,000 people who die every year and countless more are injured. Mass shootings account for a very small percentage of that. And, and they understandably take up a large amount of the immediate yeah. attention. But I would encourage your listeners to think of gun violence more as like, you know, a suicide uh, issue, a homicide issue, an accidental injury issue, and then a mass shooting issue, because they all have a, a common denominator, which is they all involve a firearm. But they're all very different in, in how they look and the factors that lead up to those events. And that means that the solutions to those events, the things that can make those better, are all look very different. Mm-hmm. So something like, you know, the thing that I focus on the most is, is safe storage, you know, safe storage, safe storage and research. So a lot of the times you hear people talk about guns were operating, their their solutions are not always rooted in evidence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's in large part because of the last 20-something years, there's been a moratorium basically put on public health research addressing gun violence. And so there's just so much that we don't understand. And so we want to try and set the conversation, focusing Mm -hmm. it mainly on suicide, go back to suicide, homicide, uh, accidental injury, and mass shootings. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the moratorium that you just mentioned. Um, right. That's a pretty big word, so can you break down like what that means, what the impact of that is? Okay, so the Dickey, the Dickey Amendment was uh, some language inserted, I forget the exact year, but basically uh, the CDC, uh, 1996, there we go. Um, thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically the CDC was approaching looking at gun violence as yeah. uh, taking a look at it from a public health perspective. That was Dr. Rosenberg at the time that had in charge of it. Uh, and then a congressman named Jay Dickey, um, they were really button heads. And they the lang- specific language was, was put into a law basically saying that it's not specifically prohibiting gun violence research, but how they phrased it was enough to scare people from saying, look, this is my career. Why would I want to sp- you know, study something that is going to be so inherently political that I could lose my job at any mm-hmm. moment? I mean, it basically scared off public health researchers from addressing this issue. So for the last 20-something years, you're really you've had such a lack of focus on this issue. And so whenever you see this come into the media spotlight, you know, we're kind of in the dark. Mm. And that's not to say we shouldn't do something about gun violence, but, you know, we need to pair that with a commitment towards funding gun violence research so that we can understand the impacts of the potential solutions that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if you have the stats in front of you, but just to give us a picture just of how important this issue is, Sure. Oh, I mean, I, I mean. So I, I mentioned yeah. pediatrics. I want to. I want to be a pediatrician someday. And so uh-huh. I'm obviously. Yeah. You know, I put most of my focus on the, the aspect of you know harming kids. Okay. And it's one of the leading causes of death in, in children. I mean, yeah, accidental injury and suicide are huge factors mm-hmm. for for children. Mm-hmm. Big picture, thirty thousand plus Americans die every year from gun violence. It's it's a big problem. And again, drop in the bucket is. Um, just because mass shootings are not a significant portion of that number does not mean they are not a significant problem that we should address. Right. But the, the big number is are suicides. 
So it's like 19,000 suicides a year. And, and that's by far firearms by specifically? Successfully committed by firearms. So the, okay. the firearms are not the most common method of attempting to commit suicide, but they are the most common method of successfully um, completing suicide. Mm -hmm. So you've got, um, I, I don't have this in front of me, but if I'm remembering correctly, it's like a 90% success rate with a firearm compared right. to the next leading cause. The next most successful is jumping, which I think is at mm -hmm. 20 or 30% and followed that by pills. So, you know, when you look at a success for you know, people being able to kill themselves, mm -hmm. if they have access to a firearm, they're going to be far more likely to do that. They're going to be far more likely to be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one thing that we do know is that if you can get somebody past a suicide, they're not likely to die from suicide. So like, if you follow somebody who's unsuccessfully attempted to commit suicide, you keep following them over time, they're unlikely to have died from a, a subsequent suicide attempt. So mm -hmm. if you're capable of stopping that attempt or preventing that attempt or preventing them from accessing the most legal means of attempt suicide and you're gonna save a life mm -hmm. and and so to me that's the low-hanging fruit here there is no easy solution to gun violence that's just it's it's something that um, you know I, I know a lot of time you know talk about from like a, a global perspective you know if you look at how other, other countries have done that we're in us unprecedented territory here mm -hmm. um, you know we have more guns in this country than anywhere else in the world I think we account for like 40% of all privately armed firearms just in our country alone are I think they're like 120 guns for every hundred Americans so there's more guns and Americans here. Huh, uh, the next most common country, you know, report from a couple of years ago, the next most common, the next country with the most firearms is Yemen. And they're like okay. less than less than half that you know, per 100 people. They're in the middle of a civil war, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's just, it's just like, you know, their situations are not comparable. But we have like, th it's like 390 million firearms is estimated in the, in the U.S. I mean, those are there. They are already out there in the U.S. Like, even if you start imposing restrictions on sales, they are they're out there. They exist. And so we need to look at solutions that can help make firearms coexist safely in our society rather than, you know, look back on what we could have done to mm -hmm. address in the past. Because when you're looking at, you know, how your relationship with guns, whatever your relationship with guns, fire, having a firearm in the home is a risk factor. You're increasing your risk for homicide. You're increasing your risk for suicide. So, you know, when we talk about firearms in the clinical setting, it's like, hey, this is a risk. Just, just like a pool is a risk for drowning, firearm is a risk for homicide or suicide. And so mm -hmm. here's what we can do to decrease that risk. That way people can make an educated decision for themselves. Yeah. You know, okay, if I have a child in the home and I have a firearm in the home, okay, well, I should keep it locked and uh, unloaded and kept separate from the ammunition. And that's a big fact. That, that, that I mean, you talk about children as well. I mean, you're... Estimates are like 4.6 million children in the U.S. live in a home where the gun is kept uh, unlocked and loaded. I mean, that's just an accident waiting to happen. You ask a kid, you know, mm -hmm. you talk to their parents, like, well, I've, I've kept it hidden. Uh, they can't find it. They don't know where it is. And you can turn to that kid and be like, where does that keep his gun? And they will tell you. Mm -hmm. It's they're, they're curious. They go exploring. They find it. And so when you talk, you know, you look at these accidental discharge injuries, you know, these kids are playing around. They didn't know what they were doing. You know, you read a, about a four-year-old who accidentally shot himself. That happens because they're just left out. Um, yeah. and, and I would encourage your listeners to just Google a date and firearm gun injury, and you'll yeah. probably find something. You'll probably find one for almost every day of the year. Do you know how much the risk increases in a home for harm or death if they have a firearm versus if they don't have a firearm? I, I'm hesitant to share the number that I have in my head just because I know it's an old study. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it was back in like the 1990s, the, the one that I most recently looked up. Okay. Um, I, I can tell you that it, it is a risk factor. Um, yeah. And it's a significant risk factor, but I, I don't have the exact number in front of me that sure. I, I want to mm. put out into the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, sure. yeah. Sure. 
Um, so you were saying like, if you are able to have those kinds of conversations or have those questions where you ask if they have a firearm, how, and, but if it's coming like after someone comes in from an accidental discharge or something, oh, no, no, it's not. Right? Uh, ask, or are you like no, asking no, like no. anytime? Well, child checks, you know, oh, when you, okay. when you, uh, you know, or, or in really any primary care setting. Okay. Um, again, I, yeah. I focus more on kids just because that's what I want to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But this is family medicine, internal medicine. Any, you know, anytime you're having a conversation about preventative health, obviously, yeah, you should probably have that conversation in the ER too. When you got a kid is bleeding because they shot himself yeah. in the foot um, on, on accident, I mean, that's a conversation that should be had there too. I, I'm a firm believer that you know, like, we can start changing the conversation, and whether or not legislators act, that we can start changing behaviors in our community. Like, what's the expectation? So, if we can make our community safer by just how we approach things, if we can say encourage responsible gun ownership, because to me, like. Yeah, have a firearm. That's fine. I just care that you keep it safe, like that you yeah. that you create a safe environment. Um, if you can afford a firearm, that means you can afford a gun safe too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or you know, at the very least, a gun lock. That's kind of hard. If you can't really demonstrate in a podcast, but I'd encourage people to Google them because they look they're very different, but they're different ways of securing your firearm mm-hmm. to make sure that people who aren't supposed to be using it don't use it. One of my favorite things that I've seen most recently is actually that um, out of the CU Med School and their MPH program, they found all the places that you could temporarily store your firearm in Colorado. Say you, you're in the middle of a depressive episode and having a gun at the home is really not safe for you. You mm-hmm. know where you can go temporarily store your firearm until you are in a place to get it back. Hmm. Because if you're, huh. if you're actively suicidal and you have access to a firearm, well, what do you think is going to happen? Right. Yeah. And so those are the things that like that's that's not necessarily something that a legislator had to pose. You know, we didn't have to have a law saying that that exists. It's just something that somebody in the community said, hey, we deserve to know this. Mm-hmm. And they went out, they researched it, they found all the locations and they made their community safer by doing that. Now, obviously, let's put, you know, put pressure on our legislators. I mean, you want you want to my soapbox right now has been research funding for research, because if mm-hmm. we can't commit fund resources to that, and we're never going to understand this, and we're going to continue having these uh, conversations where we're yelling at each other based off of <laughs> little evidence, and nobody's going to go anywhere. Yeah. I just think that's so cool that they have that. I don't know that I'm, like, curious to, like, if everywhere has them, but it's just it's, secret it's, and it's no, not no, it's, known. It's, uh, it's, like, they from have what I understand, that's, a, that's the first of its kind. It came out, like, okay. a week ago. I was nerding out oh, when okay. I saw it. I was like, this is amazing, um, yeah. because it comes back to... I think the focus is always on uh, what's happening in your state capital or what's happening in D.C. Yeah. But there's so much that you can do to change the culture in your own community to make it safer. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we're changing the culture where people are, the expectation is, well, wait, you have a gun? Why isn't it locked up? Like, that's not right. Um, if we can get people asking those questions and holding yeah. each other accountable, then that's going to create a safer community. Uh, the other thing, too, is like, well, if your kids are going over to a friend's house, are you asking that parent, like, hey, like, you have guns at home because you know, a lot of parents like, well, I don't have guns in my house, so I don't, I don't I need to have this conversation with my kids. Um, and the reality is, is like, what if they go to a friend's house and the parent keeps the gun unlocked? I've, I've definitely had conversations with individuals who who've had their kids go over to a friend's house and there was a gun out and they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They're not, they've never, you know, it's, it's obviously any child with access to a firearm is a risk, or, you know, that's a risk waiting to happen, even if they have had the appropriate training. Mm-hmm. But those kids who've never been exposed to it, I mean, can you, you can imagine that's a bad situation. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think your approach is really interesting because I think when people hear about gun violence, they think it's a very black and white issue where people have very clear positions about it and they're like people think it's either oh you're all about banning all 
guns or you're all about like, oh no, it's like our American right to have it, blah, blah, blah. And there's that argument. And I took this like advocacy course and our group actually did it on gun violence. And um, we, we were told to research like pro-gun people's perspectives. And I think it's really hard being a medical professional or being a public health professional because you see how much harm it can do. And then you're trying to advocate in a way that's, like you said, bipartisan. A bipartisan appeal. Um, yeah. But my focus is always on the patients. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I could care less who's in office. I could care less who I'm working with or you know, I'm not there for a party. I'm not there for red or blue. I'm mm-hmm. there to make sure that my, you know, my patients will not have to come through the door to the ER and go into trauma surgery. That's what I right. care about. And as long as you're coming from that perspective, when you're talking about from a public health perspective, you know, it's the same, same perspective. You're trying to prevent people from, who cares who's in office? Mm-hmm. Can they help you save lives? Right. And, and when it comes down to gun violence, I mean, if there was an easy solution, this would be, this would have been a conversation that ended in, 19, in the 1950s. Like this, this <laughs> yeah. is, this is a complicated issue for a reason. I mean, what works in other countries is not necessarily going to work for us. Um, we yeah. have a very unusual situation here where there's this, you know, one, a sheer, sheer quantity of firearms that are already out there. Uh, and, and two, I mean, it's literally baked into our constitution. And I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm not trying to interpret the Second Amendment, mm-hmm. but you cannot ignore the fact that there is something that is, inherently a, a, we're proud of a gun, our gun country culture in the u.s mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and i'm not trying to take away I, I, my, my focus is on is not on taking away guns my focus is not on gun control it's not on pro-gun it's about preventing firearm injury that's mm-hmm. that's what i care about and and frankly if you're looking at preserving the second amendment i would be inherently concerned about preventing uh the, the most dangerous thing to that in my my opinion as, as a as an individual, is this continuing epidemic of gun violence? Because if, if mm-hmm. you, this keeps happening over and over again, well, what's going to happen to that? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good way to delineate your, um, I guess, approach. I don't know what the right word for it is, but I think that's pretty much the conclusion that I've come to with a lot of different issues that are it's politic- that are very <laughs> political in nature. But like, you, you take a step back and you're like, Okay, but like regardless of politics, regardless of like who's in office, let's look at the people, right? And I think that's a really great way to just kind of step back and be like, okay, like what's really the problem here and how can I approach it? And I think you you summarize that perfectly. Right. And, and again, like anybody's trying to tell you that there's like, oh, all you have to do is do this and this problem is to be fixed. They're just lying to you. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it, it's, that, that is, that is a, a false answer. I mean, and, and there's no perfect. So, like, my, I, what I, what I, my biggest thing outside of the research is the safe storage push. And yeah. that's not going to get you all the way. You know, even if we had 100% of Americans storing their guns safely, um, you're still going to have accidents. They're still going to happen. You're still going to have yeah. suicides. But it will make a positive difference. It's going to make that situation better. But I'm not trying to convince people that it's going to make it completely better. I'm not going to try and convince people that everything is going to be completely 100% safe. Yeah. yeah. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. But, um, you know, obviously more work needs to be done. I think, you know, safe storage is the, is the most heavily supported by evidence. There are other things that, that are starting to receive more and more support by, with evidence. Um, I, I, I feel most comfortable talking about safe storage, especially because it's something that I can directly impact in the clinical setting. In my little yeah. local bubble, I can talk about safe storage and I know that there's a chance that that family might go home and buy a gun safe. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes that... Wasn't there a study in like, was it Massachusetts where they had pretty high level of protection laws put in place regarding safe storage and that, and they found that to reduce 
risk. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the. I, I actually, I've, I've not a lot of the the, the Rand. Uh, Rand has put together a, a huge comp- compilation of, of available gun violence um, mm-hmm. research. I don't know of a specific study in Massachusetts, um, but I do know that safe storage is heavily supported. And, yeah. and I would encourage any of your listeners who owns a firearm to make sure they own a gun safe. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you say gun safe, sure. because I don't know anything about guns, um, like that can mean anything from putting in a box and then putting it in my closet to like putting it in a safe with like a pin code and like... Uh, I take I take issue with the closet. Uh, it has to have us. It has to have a like a lock, a way that people okay. cannot open it. Um, I, I would I would attribute hiding it in the putting in the closet is to hiding it where you think other people can't get to, which mm-hmm. especially if you have small children, people will get to. But I mean, it, it, I would honestly go talk to your local gun store about that. Um, yeah. There are so many different ways of. There are a lot of different types of, of firearm safes. Um, and okay. You know, you could you could stick one in your drawer, um, a bedside drawer. You can stick one in your closet. You can have one in your garage. They can be massive. They can be tiny. Um, quick access, uh, you know, one. I mean, there are just all sorts of things that you can do, and I'm not the expert on that. That would be mm-hmm. your local, local gun store. I feel like when people acquire or purchase guns or firearms, they should be required to also get a safe or, like, the proper well, storage well, you know, it, thing. I, or, I mean, if they already yeah. own one then like somehow show proof that they own one i i mean if again if you can afford a firearm you can afford yeah. it safe. you know it's not like these things are cheap <laughs> yeah. it would seem like something like i mean of course i have no idea what the conversation entails of like walking into a store and like talking to a specialist or someone there and like i don't know if they're telling you like hey you should probably buy this or not i have no idea i mean i, I mean but, again I, I mean i don't yeah. know um yeah. the, the intricacies of each conversation again like there's a lot of a lot that's expected currently of firearms or like the gun store owners um to like screen people and like educate people and so maybe you get really lucky and you get someone who's a a really great you know hey here's what you need to do to be a responsible gun owner um that's not really standardized right now um Hmm. and you know i think nobody has an issue with responsible gun owners i mean those guys those are the ones who are you know take a look at the santa fe shooting i mean the the Santa Fe mass shooting, the kid accessed his father's firearms. And so, you know, again, that's, I wouldn't say safe story, just going to stop mass shootings on a large, large scale. Um, but yeah. that's a situation. If you can limit a child's access to guns, then you can save lives in a very mm-hmm. big way. Speaking of like all the things where it's like, obviously like politics are here, there doesn't really matter. Like what it comes down to is like stepping back and trying to figure out what is the most effective Discussing things where, like, creating some form of, like, uniformity amongst gun store owners or something, but also, like, this kind of goes with how you helped or, like, you created this curriculum, right? Where, like, you're yeah, teaching yeah. this course, so you have that. But is that, like, can you talk more about that? And also, is the course that you made for your school the only one of those that does that? Or, um, like, at the you- time, we were one of two total that I knew of. Um, that's That yeah. was three years ago. I would hope that more had popped up now. Um, I, it's not a whole lot of information out there, right? Yeah. So you're kind of relying on your local um, local expertise. Uh, fortunately, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to brag about it. We're in the Texas Medical Center, literally the world's largest medical center. You have a lot of volume uh, and people kind of pick up this information as they go along. So I have yeah. an excellent mentor um, and, and Dr. McKay, she's a pediatrician at UT, and she happens to have like presented to the National Academy of uh, Pedi- uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, at a national meeting about gun violence. She's an expert. Mm-hmm. She exists. Oh, cool. She is. She is there at, at UT. Um, we have these trauma surgeons. You know, this is um, 
uh, this one trauma surgeon who came and talked to us. I mean, he was, he's literally an amateur gunsmith and he also is a trauma surgeon. So he's like, and his, he, he, as a hobbyist, he likes guns and then he treats it in a clinical setting. Huh. And so he talks yeah. to us about like, the ballistics, like this is what happens when a bullet hits a body. Like this is the yeah. injury pattern that you're going to see. And it, it's, it's, it's uh, a really eye-opening experience because again, like mm-hmm. it comes down to it, like, I'm going to be a physician in a year and a half and, you know, God willing, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I'm, you know, whether I'm in going into general pediatrics or if I end up going into surgery and having a completion of heart, I, I'm going to see this. I'm going to, I mean, I should know what this looks like mm-hmm. before I'm in the clinical setting, which is what the yeah. whole point of preclinicals are, right? And so we, that was the whole point of the course. It was, you know, we had one lecture too talking about how to approach advocacy. Um, so mm-hmm. I think a lot of, you know, you, you took a class on it. Like a lot of people don't have a strong foundation in what advocacy looks like. Yeah. Um, and especially like when you're talking about something that can be so politically volatile. I mean, if you say something incorrectly, then you can really rile emotions. And, mm-hmm. and so if, especially coming from, you know, talking about it from like a public health um, and a physician, you know, physician saying, well, we care about evidence-based interventions. That's, that's, that's how, what our professions are rooted in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you can keep that in mind as you're approaching whatever topic you're approaching with advocacy, you're going to get a lot further than just going with your gut. Um, yeah. So I think that's what gets people in a lot of trouble, especially when they talk about guns, is that there's just this, it's, it's so emotional. You can get so emotional talking about it. And I think that if you just come and say, hey, like, this is what I care about. I care about my patients. I care about making sure that they don't get hurt. And I care about learning more about this issue so we can keep having a dialogue about what's the best way to keep our society safe um, and just follow the data follow that rather than, you know, the flavor of the month regarding the solutions to gun violence. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I, I'm much more comfortable with that approach. Again, I, I don't want to discourage people from pushing for other interventions. I just think that everything, if we have these approaches to, to address gun violence, they need yeah. to be paired with a commitment to study the impact of yeah, those. Because right. if they don't work, then in five years we should repeal it, try something else. Yeah. Or if they yeah. do work, we need to ramp it up and continue down that road. We just don't know. And I would, I think an incremental approach going slowly and seeing and gathering more evidence is much better than just sweeping and saying, well, obviously mm. we can't have guns. It's not, it's, it's not yeah. working in our society. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not the, uh, that's not a sustainable nor effective dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there needs to be money <laughs> in order to do <laughs> There is, people, yeah. People yes. have to be willing to fund, you know, those follow-ups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and... and Call your, call your congressman, call your state mm-hmm. senator, call your state rep. I mean, those are the people who are in a position to help get funding for gun violence right. research. Because the rea- reality is, is I mean, that one of the most frustrating things, you know, I told you earlier that this is one of the most uh, uh, leading causes of mortality in children. If you go to the NIH page or the CDC Safe Kids page, you won't find it. Huh? It's not acknowledged on those pages as a major problem for um, public mm-hmm. health. Uh, and until we start having a conversation about that, until we acknowledge, hey, gun violence is a public health threat to Americans, until yeah. we get to that playing field, then we're going to keep having these completely unproductive conversations yeah. about the way forward. It's interesting that it's not there or listed there because, like, in my mind, it's definitely public health. Everyone I feel like I talk to, it's public health, and, of course, it's not listed as... Yeah, yeah so, um, let's see, child... Seems counterintuitive. Uh, all right, so child injury prevention topics. You have burn prevention, drowning prevention, fall prevention, playground safety, poisoning prevention, road traffic safety, and sports safety. Uh, under the additional topics, you also see bicycle safety, child passenger safety, uh, helmet safety, pedestrian safety, and team driving safety. Um, that's the CDC? Will, that's on the CDC um, Safe 
child page oh. um, and looking at child injury prevention tips, but you will not see anything about firearms. And do I they have a? But they should have like a general gun violence page. Sure. Though, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah, they, they they have. I mean, under the the mass data area mm-hmm. um, that they have, you you'll find information about where like suicide and homicide rank. Okay. But if you go to areas where you're looking at, like I said, protect the ones you love, child injuries are preventable. This page mm-hmm. is dedicated towards preventing yeah. child injury. And yeah. one of the leading causes of child injury is not listed on that. And so we have, can have an honest conversation about yeah. this is a problem, acknowledging that this is a problem, then I don't see how we can continue a, con- a conversation. Yeah. Can you just like hack it and just type it in there? Yeah. <laughs> just put it in yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 it's political. It's politicizing public health. Yeah. If you know, if, if we had yeah. a dedicated, you know, it's like you know, looking at like how how we approach motor vehicle accidents. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. we, de- we dedicated resources towards preventing motor vehicle accidents, and we followed that information. So we found out that hey, maybe we shouldn't put these trees on these intersections because then people can't see cars coming the other way. Like I would never have thought of that. I would never have put those two together. And I believe that if we put if we let public health professionals study this then yeah. you're going to find interventions that we didn't think of that can make uh, our society safer. We just have yeah. to give them the chance to study it and come up mm-hmm. with the solutions that, you know, maybe aren't obvious right now. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to ask you. So as a medical student, you're doing a lot of advocacy work. You're writing right. a lot of stuff. You're you're doing the classes and everything. Um, so to anyone else in whatever, wherever they are in life, if they want to know, okay, how can I get involved in my own community with this advocacy work? Where would you advise them to start? What, what do you bring to the table? I mean, as far as like for, for how it's the, the classes, what started it for me, I worked with a colleague of mine and, and she and I worked to, we were like, okay, well, we know we're in, we're in med school right now and we're in class all the time. What can we do to impact this issue and we settled mm-hmm. on a class an educational t- and, and you know saying hey we need to have a baseline understanding of mm-hmm. of this issue to move forward mm-hmm. and so and, th- and that started locally in a very small like internal like and it has since last year i presented to the med- medical students at a national um meeting for the american medical association um, mm-hmm. So like it's, it expands based off of what is successful locally. Mm-hmm. I think regarding specifics, that probably depends on the issue that you're most passionate about. Right. Um, I think yeah. it kind of finds you. I, I don't think I intended to go to med school and start addressing gun violence. That was not something that I wrote in my personal mm-hmm. statement. It was yeah. not something that it was just it was just it just kind of happens. And, yeah. and, you know, you've got to follow through. So yeah. um, I think it's important to, you know, what my mentors always told me is identifying the local, you know, local partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to try and figure out who else is already doing it and they can plug you into the right network. And, mm-hmm. and that's what it really comes down to saying, Hey, this is what I can bring. This is what I can bring to the table. I would like to help with this issue. And if you can find someone who's already in that area, cause chances are you're not the first person to think of something great. They can help get you started. Yeah. And then any insights or advice on anyone who wants to reach out to their congressman or any legislator because i think i remember back in the day like before i started doing that i'd be really scared to reach out and call them um so so um i divert the question a little bit and talk about one of my favorite stories uh from this past year and i promise i will get back to what you're asking in a a second but i was on i was going to my grandma's 90th birthday party uh grandma Mm -hmm. tafaniti really wanted a margarita so we we all went to el paso and celebrated with, uh, with a margarita as I'm getting on this plane, this is after the most, it was after the first presidential debate. 
Um, and I'm looking at I'm looking at the plane. I'm like that guy looks really familiar. Either either that's Julian Castro or Joaquin Castro. Um, yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> and and um, and as I'm thinking that, I see. Um, are you familiar with who Will Hurd is? No. Uh, he's a Republican congressman in San Antonio, and uh, his district actually is El Paso. Uh, he's unfortunately retiring, um, but he was also on that flight. And so it's oh, also wow. it's, it's it's Southwest Airlines, so you can pick wherever you want to sit. So of course I sit next <laughs> okay. to Leon, uh, and I sit next to him, and I'm like I'm super excited. I'm like I'm gonna talk to this guy, and then he passes out the entire flight. I'm like ah, <laughs> <laughs> I caught him at the very end. I caught him at the very end. Um, so I got up and I went to go talk to Will, uh, Congressman Hurd. And, and he and I sat there for an hour. I mean, of course, he's on a metal tube with no exits, so he had to sit there and, and uh, <laughs> talk to me, uh, which, you know, good for me, bad for him. Um, but we had a really great conversation about everything from vaccines to gun violence to, you know, everything in between. And we talked mm-hmm. about some very hot topics, and we had a, an honest conversation about, you know, what the issues were. And I can't – my experience is a little – um, I, I, again, I want to avoid getting into the whole politics things, but like, I, I've, I've had some experience working in, um, working in a, a politician's office. I mean, these guys yeah. are, um, they can be intimidating. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes if you call, like I was an intern, um, at a congressional, in a congressional district in El Paso. And, and basically like a lot of times you would get pawned off of me, uh, to, to start, to start, not to, not to, not, not that you, you're like, okay, like you need to start here and this is what you really care about. And like, how can I help you? And as you would learn more about it, that would get escalated to the caseworker and then eventually to the, um, to the elected officials themselves. Um, and, and I really think that's, that's, it's a, that's how things get done is, mm. is you just start making a call and you say, Hey, this is something I really care about. And you talk to somebody from that office. And eventually, you know, you, uh, enough people will call about that issue and they're like, hey, we should really address this. We should really start thinking about this. And honestly, like politicians are, um, I don't think they're larger than life. Um, obviously, it's a little, yeah. like, if you've never talked to them before, it can be very intimidating. Um, yeah. I will say is that like, I haven't had a bad experience yet. Um, I've been fortunate that, you know, I've my conversations have been with individuals um, who are very open to people talking to them. Yeah. Um, and then some state reps uh, in, in Texas who, again, like if you come in and you don't come in swinging, mm-hmm. the conversations with some of the more local officials that I've talked to, uh, especially about this, is that, I mean, if you're coming in swinging with these, these really emotional argument, I mean, it can be really powerful on something like social media. Yeah. But I think that people don't really hear it in person. Yeah. You know, um, and then, of course, there's like you know, my big thing, too, is that, you know, the idea that anything less than total success is considered a failure. Mm. I, I would check that at the door. I mean, compromise is a good thing. Um, mm. You're not going to get everything you want. And if you if you can go in there and have an honest conversation, like when I talked to Congressman Hurd about safe storage, um, I have no idea what he did with that. Um, I have no idea what came of that conversation, but I know that he had more information than he did when he got on that plane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if that's going to have any long-term impacts on how he votes or, or what, but I had that conversation. He now knows that information and I'm going to yeah. keep having that conversation with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. if they make a decision that I think is in the right direction, I'm not going to um, be like, well, they didn't do everything I wanted. <laughs> so it's useless. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, like you listened, you worked with me, you understand that this is a difficult issue. Yeah. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Let's celebrate progress where we see it and then keep having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good advice. Yeah. 
Although yeah. we're not all going to be fortunate to be on a Southwest flight with our local politician and get to pick uh, to sit there. I, you, you know, I, so like I serendipitous. Will, <laughs> it was an 8 a.m. flight too, so I goes all before like, and I'm like, I'm like my my brother's a big um, uh, Congressman Hurd fan, so I was like, he's picking me up at the airport. I'm like, you should really walk into. Um, <laughs> You should really walk in to pick me up at the airport. <laughs> He's like, why? Oh, man. <laughs> and so he and Hal has a picture with him because, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, I, it's so random. I stood also- right in front of um, Representative Deb Holland from New Mexico. She's one of the um, Native American representatives elected. And I, I was so scared to talk to her. She was sitting right, in, she was right in front of me on the, the train at Denver International Airport, DIA. And, um, okay. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to talk to her. I'm totally going to talk to her. And then we got off at the same terminal. And then, yeah, I regret not, not talking to her because you, you gotta, you gotta remember they work for you. I know. Right? That's, yeah. that's the thing. But right? I was just like, um, I was but... just like, Oh my God, is that her? And then, and then you go through your mind, you're like, that's crazy. That can't be her. And then I was just like, Oh my God, it is her. And then by the time I, like, worked up the courage to talk to her, she had to, like, rush to her flight, and, and she, like, and, boarded as soon as she got there. And that, so. that's happened to me. Uh, there's, uh, I think my, my current representative, Al Green, I saw him at the grocery store, and I, and I didn't, never talked to him. I should have yeah. grabbed the chance while I had it. Um, yeah. Same thing with uh, Mayor Sylvester Turner in Houston. I've, I've seen him once or twice, and I've never grabbed him to talk to him, but hopefully one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah Danny, no. do you have any other questions for Michael? I mean, 5,000, but it's not relevant. 5,000. Like, I'm still, so, like, I'm like, understand more things, but more confused because now I know more things. So naturally, I'm like, what? To like right, a new right. level I mean, of Everyone what? thinks that like, guns, so. you know, to, to go back to the gun stuff, everyone thinks that it's just, yeah. you know, there's obviously one right answer, right? Um, yeah. But the more you go and have these conversations with people from across the country, you understand that, you know, take, I like the example of the Parkland students and the Santa Fe students. You know, you saw the students from Parkland High School for what they've done. They've taken a tragedy and, and really said, you know, we're going to use this to make things better. I like what they're doing. Yeah. Um, okay. Because they're speaking while people are listening. And that's how you get mm. things changed. The students from Santa Fe High School had every the right to do that as well. Every Everybody is much right as the students from Parkland. And they chose yeah. not to do that. And that is the right choice for them. That is that. And there's... Mm-hmm. You know, they have a different approach. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no no fault in that. Um, you know, whether they grieve as a community or they just feel like that is not something that they want to do, that's entirely up to them. People approach this issue from very different ways, yeah. different perspectives, yeah. um, and that can be regional. That can be um, that can just be demographics. But this is a very complicated issue. Um, there's no one right answer, and you know, forward progress is forward progress, and that should be celebrated. But, yeah. yeah, there's room for nuance and everything. I think that's yeah. I think that's the main takeaway here at, from yeah. what I hear is just really being okay with how complicated this issue is. I mean, I think yeah. if you're just consuming media outlets and their reports on gun violence, then I feel like because of the emotions behind it, it's very easy to feel a lot of different things, which is fine, right? But at the same time, it's like, okay, if you're going to... If you care about this issue and you want to advocate for it, then, like you said, there's a lot of different approaches. There's a lot to learn. There's still so much to learn. And it's okay to feel confused. And at the end of the day, it's like, if you care for it, then use what resources you have to try and just do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, good reminder for me, too. (laughs) Right. I think one, one last one thing, thing that we wanted, um, I didn't touch on earlier, is to talk about mental Mm -hmm. health and and, uh, gun violence. That's a very common 
commonly used diversion yes. to talk about. Um, there is an appropriate conversation to have. You know, when again, like I said, the vast majority of, of deaths associated with guns, uh, gun, gun and firearm injury, are suicides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, talk, it's incredibly appropriate to talk about mental health in the context of suicides. The evidence does not support that when it comes to homicide or accidental injury or mass shootings. That's mm-hmm. just not. That's not yeah. an appropriate. That's not an appropriate conversation to have or an, an appropriate you know, focus. On one hand, it's like it's great that we're getting more mental health funding because obviously it's really underfunded. Um, mm-hmm. But I get really concerned by the by the reason it's in the focus because mm-hmm. people, are, you know, it's not about like a mass shooting. What's like, well, the me- mental illness, and that's not that's not appropriate. That's not true. That's mm-hmm. not how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want to talk about suicides, great. Let's talk about mental mental illness and increasing mental health because that will make a difference. But it will not change mass shootings. It will not make an impact in homicides. I think it's more likely that they're that somebody who's mentally ill is more likely to be on the receiving end of of, of violence and be on the per- perpetrator side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. super glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. So again, nuance. You know, you hear people talk about yeah. mental illness. It is appropriate in the context of suicide. It is not appropriate in the context of mass shootings and homicides. Yeah. 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 I'm really glad you you brought that up. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Any other last things you want to just put out there uh, before we end this conversation? No, I, I think I've, I think I've said pretty much everything I want to say. Um, okay. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, it's oh. been a great conversation. I hope this is educational for your listeners. Yeah, great. And so, any resources that you have, we will post them on our website. So go ahead yeah. and send them to us, and we'll put it up there. Great. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's really not a great like consolidated. Um, I know like the Giffords Law Center is pretty great. Um, Affirm Affirm Research is another another good organization. Um, they put out some really, really good stuff. Um, yeah. But I would just encourage your listeners to, you know, every time they read something, to just, you know, be a little skeptical. Critical but, thinkers. Yeah. 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 That's the whole point, right? You, you know, we're, you know, you guys are trying to be scientists and trying to be a you know, healthcare professional. Like, this is some scientific background that. Like that. You, know, you got to be yeah. skeptical of everything you read. Yeah. Yeah. for helping this podcast run and a special thanks to Cordell Glass for producing our music. Thanks for listening.